Hello and happy Friday. Welcome back to the Informations 411. This is Priya Anand. I'm your host this week. I'm a reporter over here at the Information, and I'm very excited to wish you all a happy new year since I haven't had a chance to do that yet, and to share a lot of the work we've done in this past week with you guys through this podcast. Um, we did not settle down. We started off 2020 with a bang here at the Information. We had a really scoopy week. Amir published a very detailed look inside Uber and everything's everything that's going wrong over there right now. And it seems like there are a lot of things on that list. And remember Twitch? Amazon bought them for almost a billion a couple years back. I dug deep into them and what's been going on there since the acquisition and where they stand in terms of revenue goals, where Amazon wants them to be, where they're at. It's not really quite close to where Amazon wants them to be. So we have a lot to discuss. Let's get right to it. Amir, welcome back to the pod. Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, Your Uber Opus was so detailed and I think a great look at all of their problems right now. And their problems right now seem to include basically every part of their business. I mean, maybe we can start by running through what you think is going well at Uber right now before we get into all the things that aren't going well. Going well. Well, um, they have improved the kind of fundamentals of their ride-hailing business, but it's still a long way from being um, super good, and it also has some natural growth ceilings it's going to hit because ride-sharing, or the actual pooling of people into rides, doesn't work, which you know very well, having written about that previously as well. So yeah, let's get into all the problems with starting starting with Uber Pool, I guess, um, since you bring it up. I mean, so what's the deal with Uber Pool? It's years and years in. I, I wrote about it a couple of years back, as you kindly mentioned. Um, and back at that point, they were burning you know, this was about a year after launch. They were burning a million a week in San Francisco alone, and they kept finding that any every time they took away discounts, like very steep discounts, people would just like not take pool at all, and um, ridership would go down a lot, and it was a problem to them. And they thought, you know, like I feel like Uber executives, you know, for years and years have said that they're waiting for a day when ride sharing takes over and car ownership ownership ends, et cetera, and everyone's just pooling, and that's the vision, that's the dream. And your story this week made it, I, th- I think it seems kind of clear that that's definitely not how it's going years and years in. Why are they still having problems with Uber Pool? Uh, just economically, it just doesn't work. Um, the fares have been so heavily subsidized. They don't reflect the actual cost of doing that kind of business. Even now? Uh, well, now it's changing. Now it's changing. So the big change in the last year it's been gradual and it's gotten bigger and bigger over time and if you use uber you would have seen this yourself i've certainly experienced it myself in san francisco pool has just gotten a lot more expensive uh everything's gotten a lot more expensive uh but the reason they're they're uh they're doing that is is they actually want it to be a little bit closer to reflecting the actual cost of fulfilling this ride but the result is like you said um, it's not that people are fickle, but like in transportation, demand is super elastic and prices matter a lot. So I think they were hoping that over time there would be, you know, like you said, people will change their, would change their behaviors and, um, 
and you know they've tried to get people to walk a certain distance to get to express like pool some point through express pool um that doesn't seem to have solved the issue either um so they're left with this position of well uber pool doesn't work and we need to shut it down that's actually one of the things that dara um Kusr shahi the the C- ceo um you know has been looking at for a long time but it it took a while before they actually took action to essentially ramp it down significantly and it's even worse outside of the u.s because of the way that streets are configured and a lot more one-way streets and and so on there's a lot more flexibility in u.s uh in u.s cities to do uber pool but even here it's still hugely problematic so that just means that if you're really looking at ride hailing um into the if you're projecting it out into the future we're still really far away from figuring out how to get people to actually share rides so calling it ride sharing is a total misnomer i mean i think when people hear the word ride sharing they often think of just like pool general uh, uber generally because the car is being shared but but yeah I mean, this the whole car concept of the car wouldn't be there if not for uber right so a lot of the time drivers are actually driving around without somebody in the vehicle mm-hmm. or they're driving from if you're talking about san francisco um, they're driving in from sacramento which is right. a couple of hours away just to get here to do uber so that's definitely not ride sharing <laughs> and and it's it yeah it's just kind of a, a disingenuous term to describe what's actually going on yeah i totally agree i mean i think nonetheless the company uses that term a lot yeah, and people in the industry use that term a lot. it sounds car, a lot better it sounds a lot better it sounds yeah. really nice and it's a nice response when cities accuse you of creating more congestion right. and exactly. traffic and pollution exactly. etc to say like well we're, sh- we're leading to people sharing vehicles and people will abandon car ownership and that's not actually the case but so i feel like this is well, by the way the information does not use the term ride sharing i just want to know we've only written ride hailing which is a more accurate description i i definitely think that's much more accurate so i mean I think people might say like, oh, yeah, this was evident given that pool. It's clear it's become so much more expensive. And if you're looking at it now, it's only a couple bucks cheaper than a regular Uber. If that, like in airport rides, I've noticed in yeah. the last couple of months, it's it's not meaningfully cheaper, particularly if you're adding a second person. But this was such an important thing to Uber. Travis talked about, you know, the never ending yeah. batch ride where you just like stuff yep. in as many people like they've talked about Uber bus like this was such a big deal for their overall vision. What does this mean for the future of that vision? And do you think they're going to keep pool? Because they've tried all these other things, right? They've tried saying like walk a block to get to your destination or to get to the car. And despite that, it hasn't necessarily worked out for them. Yeah. I mean, there are some, there are some ways we can answer that. And then some ways where we can't quite answer it. But the short answer is, um, yeah, this is just going to become a smaller and smaller part of these uh, of these uh, services. On the other hand, prices are going up. They're actually going to make a little bit more money in the in the short term, so that that'll be good for for earnings in the in the in the near term. But in the long term, it means that this whole idea of driving down costs and being the Amazon of transportation. Yes doesn't work it just doesn't work um they have not been able to figure out how to do it one uh one interesting set of responses i got to questions about this was uh from somebody you know super senior at the company and they basically summed it up by saying look we have not figured it out but uh ride sharing 
is a desirable thing. Cities want it. Everyone wants it. It's something that we need to figure out. It's going to be good for everyone. Um, and because so, you're stuffing more people in the car instead of just like one person driving by themselves or two people driving exactly, by themselves. Exactly. So whether it's going to be through more uh, scheduling of rides ahead of time, people kind of commuting together, people figuring out, you know, Uber figuring out how to match people together better. It's just, you know, it's going to take a lot of time, but Uber is a plat- quote unquote a platform and it's going to be there. And when they figure out a better economic model, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll exist in all these places to be able to take advantage. Um, that's, you know, I suppose I can, I can get my head around that and agree, but that doesn't, that doesn't address the question of like, okay, how are you going to keep growth going? How are you going to increase demand? Um, in fact, it sounds like they're basically saying like the future might look like an automated version of Craigslist rides or blah, blah, car in Europe or, you know, ways as carpool service, yeah. which have you tried seem it? Like I it. actually haven't, uh, I haven't been able to successfully, uh, successfully share a ride. Uh, you know, I have tried, I think I tried to do ways once when I was going down to the peninsula and it didn't work out. And I think I tried another time and it didn't work out. And then I think I like deleted the app and moved on with my life. Okay. To be frank. I'll, I'll, I'll give it another go. But, um, obviously this, the story that we wrote goes far beyond pool and talks about how, you know, in other areas of the business, whether it's the food delivery business, Uber Eats, or the scooter business, Uber Jump, you know, they're just falling behind. Um, I mean, these are difficult businesses, but the name of the game is to be more efficient than your next rival. And it's very clear internally and externally that Uber is less efficient than all these other startups. So let's let's go to Eats because I feel like that was such, I mean, there were stories written, you wrote a story about how it was internally viewed as the crown jewel, like the upcoming. Not that long ago, yeah. Yeah, like, like shortly 18, before like, they went public, like a year and a half like 18 ago. 18 months ago, it was like this hot thing that they were so excited about and then everyone, everything went to shit. Yeah, and I, I, what's interesting about this is that that Travis Kalanick has moved on to this dark kitchens concept, right? And yeah. he still has faith in it. So I, I don't know if there is a disconnect between what his vision was for it and what it's become now. But I mean, why has Uber Eats been such a problem? Is it just that the food delivery space is so heavily competitive and honestly probably overfunded? Uh, that's part of the answer. But um, frankly, uh Uber Eats just got beat. They just got beat. Uh, they operate much less efficiently than in the United States. DoorDash, for instance. Now, DoorDash has... Per, per Amir's story that I want to give a shout out to from a couple weeks ago, um, you can find that on our site too, obviously. But Amir gave a pretty great detailed look into DoorDash's financials. And that's one of the things he proved, that they're more efficient than Uber Eats. Well, and, and it's and it's in a variety of, of, of ways. Found, but the, you know... They've figured out how to be a little more artful and how they, you know, disclose their fees to customers. Uber's tried to match that. They have been able by artful to, you mean like hiding them from people. So not hiding, just like using different terms, like calling something a service fee as opposed to you know booking fee, order fee, or whatever. Yeah, um, or or um, you know the fact that they they're just better set up in the suburbs where the basket sizes for these big orders for like a family of four is much better than you know. If, for Uber Eats, you got a, you know, somebody in a tiny apartment in, you know, wherever San Francisco or New York, New York. or some other place ordering a ten dollar sandwich. That's not going to or cut like five dollar McDonald's, which is one of their right. biggest, yeah. you know, subsets, right, or biggest yeah. restaurants. Exactly. Yep. So, but they they they've just had a variety of execution issues, and I think the the biggest frustration 
at Uber at the moment is they have all these things that aren't going well. They, you know, the, the, you know, there are probably four or five areas that we talk about in the story that are um, by all objective measures internally, according to people at Uber, not going well, um, whether it's Uber bus, which is the more high capacity vehicle efforts in other whatever parts of the world. Ha- so yeah. tell people, whatever happened with that? Again, this is all about increasing demand. This is all about going lower and lower, lower uh, price points and, and try to get more and more riders. Um, and then, you know, in, in other parts of the world, whether it's it's Cairo or in certain parts of India or in certain parts of Mexico, the concept of shuttles is already like a big thing. So the, there's this idea of a dynamic shuttle where they, you know, as an app developer, they have a better hold on where demand really is and they can kind of create these dynamic routes for shuttles to pick people up uh, and take them in, into work or into city centers and back. And the problem is they, you know, they tried to put this and tuck it into the main Uber app and that didn't work well because it, it, people thought, it, you know, people at Uber, a lot of people thought it should be its own dedicated app. Eventually they reversed course and they did make it, in, uh, uh, didn't make it that kind of an app. Um, they really didn't ask anyone to try to schedule ahead of time the demand. So uh, to tell, you know, Uber when they, they might need a bus, they really thought they could have it to be a pure on-demand service uh, and that just didn't work out. So they had to reverse course on that and in competing with other startups again we're talking about uber competing with startups like swivel and and uh, there's a one in india called shuttle although uber is not uh not active there um those are companies that have figured these things out much sooner uh and are and are you know have much greater market share so uber bus is right now in in cairo and in uh, uh mexico i think monterey mexico uh, I can't remember if they're in Mexico City. They also recently launched in Ukraine, but it's been really, really slow going because they haven't found product market fit. Um, the other effort is around Uber Cash and trying to get people to use a digital wallet, whether you're a driver or a rider, so that Uber doesn't have to pay payment processing fees. That's been super slow. Uh, again, the scooter stuff has been really difficult and a huge money loser. They've they have uh, been able to cut some of the losses, but again, they're operating much less efficiently than all the others. Um, and then the and, and the ridership yeah. is is down a lot in those new mobility efforts, right? You wrote. Yeah, they've had well, you know, when you increase prices, your ridership right. goes down. So they they tried to do it at a certain price point, losing tons of money, and it didn't work out. They had to raise prices. Ridership's going down. Um, the other the other thing is the autonomous vehicle research arm, which to Dara's credit, he got specific funding for that's allocated to that from SoftBank and Denso and Toyota, this Japanese consortium. Um, that funding will, will run out at some point next year and they'll have to figure out what to do with the autonomous vehicle division of Uber is. Do you, do you think they're just going to shelve it? Uh, it? I don't know if it's... If it's um, I think it's more likely to be spun out. I mean, it is now owned partially by this Japanese consortium. I think they own about 14%. They're going to have to spin it out, sell it, something. It's just not going to work out. There's no savior coming. There's no autonomous vehicle savior, right. robo-taxi savior coming for Uber or anyone else. Um, there's no Uber pool savior, savior coming for, you know. How is how yeah. is Lyft Line doing in comparison to Uber pool? Have you been able to... Yeah, you know, get into that world so and we, understand that better. We didn't. We didn't include that in, as part of this story. I, I think Lyft has been saying that it kind of re-architected its pooling about mm-hmm. a year ago, and that they're much better positioned to do it. Um, I don't have enough details on that to okay. tell you whether that's true or not. Um, you know, um, my gut is to say that because Lyft is smaller and has less efficiency in general when it comes to keeping drivers mm-hmm. busy, 
they would have a much harder time and fewer, fewer customers as well. They would have a much harder time getting that flywheel going, um, in a better way than, than Uber does. But I don't know. I don't know. You, you wrote about how, you know, all these things obviously are creating a lot of pressure on Dara, um, who, you know, as CEO needs to show something for himself at this point, like the public offering did not go well. There have, you know, seven different albatrosses around their necks at this point, it seems like, um, What's going to happen to Dara? Depends on how quickly he can clean this up. So he's got to do a bunch of M&A. Uh, I think he feels like he's going to have to do a bunch of M&A to try to uh, improve the situation, particularly with Eats. So we know they're going to sell the Uber Eats India division, which is going to cut down on some losses. Doesn't um, he have Doesn't he have a decent background in M&A from his time at Expedia? He does he does and he was a he was a banker previously um, with uh, with Allen and Company. But I think. Um, uh, you know, M&A, <laughs> M&A can solve some things. It can't solve everything. But f- certainly for food delivery in the U.S., there are too many players right now, and it will consolidate, and Uber is there. And so presumably the economics are going to get a lot better, and that'll be good for them. Um, but it's just going to be difficult uh, on, you know, the ride side to really – keep the growth going for a really long time if, if they don't have these newer ride types. Um, it's going to be tough to get growth from some of these newer areas if they're operating less efficiently than their rivals. So pressure is going to ramp up. Um, you know, I think the the main frustration at Uber right now is that they're, they're not necessarily having the right conversations about the problems um, at these kind of senior levels. So Do I think, people feel like that's Dara's fault? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I mean, um, that is the CEO's job. Uh, so you know, if, if there are underperforming units, um, are people being held accountable? Are leaders being held accountable? If they are losing to startups that have much less funding and much fewer, many fewer resources, um, you know, is Dara holding people accountable? Is he having the right difficult, the right, you know, and difficult conversations as a group there? Um, and I, I think those are really where the questions are. And that's why there's frustration at this point in time. All that being said, you know, He's not about to be fired. There's not some sort of like enormous pressure on him yet. But because the stock has been down, um, because the IPO went really horrific, horrifically, um, I think, uh, you know, he'll have, you know, this year to kind of work it out and then the pressure will really set in. Okay, then. I guess we'll keep watching for what happens over the next year. It sounds like something's going to hit the chopping block soon. Speaking of M&A... Uh, you had an interesting story this week about Twitch, which was this video game, st- video streaming platform um, acquired by Amazon a few years ago, which you broke was that story. news. The information broke. Um, uh, in 2014. In 2014. We got the first uh, interview with the, the, the CEO of Twitch uh, right after that. And he actually, I think he talked Emma about... Cheer. Yeah, Emma Cheer. He talked about being becoming the... Uh, what do you call Comcast it? of gaming. Oh I reread that interview actually as I was doing my reporting on this. Yeah, I think that th- we put that in the headline. I don't think that went over very well. So um, yeah, I don't know if people are going around now saying like I want to be Comcast. Right. <laughs> like, that's not necessarily the sexiest thing to choose. I don't think anyone's saying I want to be the Uber of X anymore either, though. So well, th- w- one of the things that was so interesting about this service, and I'm not a gamer, so. Uh, 
I can't pretend like I've I've seen a ton of Twitch content, um, although I have seen some. Uh, and in fact, Twitch used to be kind of a broadcast partner to uh, StarCraft um, being broadcast in sports bars. So you'd essentially mm. watch StarCraft uh, tournaments in a bar like you would a football game, which is really fascinating in and of itself. And I was really del- like delighted to see that. Um, so they were becoming really, really big around this time where they were acquired. YouTube... Uh, which was the most natural, obvious kind of uh, fit. Um, They went after them. They actually signed a term sheet. They were starting to get close, and then it all fell apart. Uh, Amazon swooped in immediately, and... um, you know, there was this expectation this this was going to be, you know, a really interesting uh, advertising business and also a commerce business. So what happened next? What happened after this acquisition? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly after Amazon acquired Twitch, people thought this could only mean bigger and better things for Twitch um, and that it could maybe, you know, branch out, become some sort of a YouTube rival at some point or at least expand into other categories and become a much larger player under the Amazon umbrella because I think when people think of Amazon, they think like Amazon is everything and Amazon's so huge. Um, you know, Twitch has grown, but actually somewhat interestingly, their user base, um, their unique users declined this past November compared to the year prior. In the U.S. Which is in the U.S., according to Comscore. Well, why is that? Well, isn't gaming still on a huge mega you know growth trajectory what's going on yeah so 2017 you know november 2017 to 2018 they saw a lot of growth they got i think to you know i'm quoting the numbers in my story off the top of my head i think 22 million um uniques at that point and then it went down to like 18 this most recent november and i heard some theories from folks that perhaps it was you know, this decline was related to the fact that Fortnite got so huge mm. and then Fortnite saw a decline. And Fortnite is a big part of Twitch. Okay. Some other people posited theories that, you know, Microsoft poached um, some people for some top streamers like Ninja um, and I believe Shroud. Um, this is where my, my lack of personal gaming experience shows um, for their own service, Mixer, which they're trying to build up as a Twitch competitor. So, I mean, you know... The decline is obviously not something any company wants to see. Um, on top of that, they've been setting very ambitious goals internally for revenue. Um, you know, Amazon's a really huge company, and Twitch was a billion dollar acquisition with a lot of promise. And Amazon wants it to be bigger and better. And a couple of years ago, they said, like, let's get to a billion in ad revenue. Um, you know, they haven't quite gotten to a billion. In 2018, they were 230 million um, for the year we learned. Last year, they were tracking for about 300 million. Um, And so, you know, that was on a goal of like 500 to 600 million for last year. So they're still pretty far from the billion mark. And when you think about the fact that Amazon in a single quarter brings in many multiples of these figures in ad revenue, it's like, you know, Twitch had a lot of hype behind it and has a lot of promise from from you know folks I've talked to in the industry and you know it's obviously still a big deal but compared to the Amazon behemoth it's a really tiny drop in the bucket in terms of revenue is is this this was it the second biggest deal after uh, Whole Foods for Amazon <sighs> you know it's up there it's up there in the big deals I'd I'd have to look at a list to really 
remember because they've acquired so many companies. Um, and I don't want to say something incorrect, but it's it's certainly up there. And it was also one of the most high profile ones. I think Ring was also around um, a billion, though, if I recall correctly. And they tried to, to branch out and do other kind of live, you know, streaming of, 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 of non-game content, right? How did that go? Yeah, they've tried crafts. They've, they have some um, cooking-focused streamers on there. But if you look at the top page on Twitch, you know, the top streamers at all, at like any given time, the majority of it is still very gaming-focused. And the company will say, like, you know, we are, you know, sticking to our, our roots. And, and they acknowledge that, like, this is their biggest category. They're remaining focused on this. And some people I talked to said, you know, who have spent time there have said, you know, Part of what makes Twitch so valuable to that core community of um, of gamers who are really loyal to Twitch is is stuff that actually turns off other people because it makes it seem like a more, you know, specific destination for that category, not necessarily something broader. So I, I think there's somewhat the sense I got in talking to a lot of folks is that there's somewhat of a question internally of what will Twitch be when it grows up and it seems like they don't actually have an answer to that yet. Hmm. But still pretty impressive amount of like engagement and just time that people are spending on this, right? If if you're if you're talking about an advertising business, you you want time. And and so from what I remember, it was just such a um such an impressive uh kind of size um, relative to the name, like when it was acquired, it was, it was just, um, uh, yeah, I think if, when you looked at the charts of traffic on the, on the web, particularly in the U S it was just sort of really jumping out. So clearly people are spending a lot of time on this service. And, right? and that's why they've been able to grow an alternate revenue stream, which is commerce. And, um, this is where, you know, the Amazon expertise probably helps a lot, but they have subscriptions that, users can get to different streamers as channels, they call them. Um, and those subscriptions, I mean, in, in a way, it's sort of like NPR-esque where it's like you're funding a thing that you support. Um, you know, a portion of that goes to the streamer, a portion of that goes to Twitch. Um, and you get things like badges and like exclusive emoticon types of things, but it's largely a show of support. And um, there are also these things called bits that you can buy, like a hundred of. And it's basically like, you know, similarly, you can use them. They're like emotes in different ways to like cheer and in Twitch chats um, and, you know, like show praise or cheer. Um, and, and people pay for these things. And that's grown to be a much larger revenue stream in the last couple of years. I was told that last year, it you know, toward the end, mid to end of the year, it had gotten to the point where in terms of overall revenue, it was, you know, starting to rival the ad business. That said, a lot of that money that comes in from the commerce side goes to the streamers. So internally, it's sort of viewed as like a way of, of like fulfilling content acquisition costs, right? Because to keep people, you know, happy on the platform, and gaming has become so professionalized, like the streamers, you know, that you have should, you know, be able to make money, et cetera. Um, so they view that side of the revenue stream, from what I understand, as sort of funding, you know, the cost of content. Um, and that's why the ad business is so important, because while streamers do get cuts of ads that they show, um, I'm told it varies based on 
you know, the type of streamer that you are, et cetera, and ads are still much more high margin than the commerce business. It doesn't seem though that this is, um, this is the kind of like acquired asset that really becomes part of the bigger whole. This is still very much a separate thing, thing right? I mean, they Twitch tried is, to put it into Amazon Prime. It didn't work. They had to change it, right? It, it, it actually, so it's still in Amazon Prime. And what's interesting about Twitch Prime is, is like, it's basically like Amazon Prime with some Twitch benefits. Like there, there's not that much different between, um, you know, what you would assume is like that there's, that there's more to it, but it just adds some benefits onto your Amazon Prime and it's the same price. It's not like an add-on or anything like that. And what they tried to do was make Twitch Prime ad-free at first. They rolled that back because they realized mm-hmm. that they wanted the ad revenue mm-hmm. and that they were giving their most loyal users who are the ones that are lucrative in terms of advertising um, an ad-free experience. And, and they, they rolled that back. Amazon has this ambition to be bigger in games and reinvent, you know, what gaming looks like in the future and shape that. And um, they have a bunch of little disparate efforts that kind of work together, but seem like they're a little bit disparate from each other. Um, They have Amazon Game Studios where they're developing original games. They haven't yet released any kind of real hit. Um, That's been struggling. We wrote a story last year about how they brought in Bing. electronic, yeah, EA veteran Bing Gordon. Um, and it seems like he was brought in to sort of like rescue the thing and help figure it out and, and move them forward in some way because the game studios has been you know around for years now but hasn't really seemed to find much success. And all this is just, to me, it seems like we're finding examples of areas in which Amazon has tried to branch out be- beyond its core business, right? And they did that so successfully with Amazon Web Services. There's no denying that. But they don't seem to have found the key to success in a bunch of other areas yet, right? Like we've covered Alexa extensively and how they don't know how to make money off Alexa yet. They, you know, inarguably create a whole new category with Alexa. So more success than in, you know, games, for example, in a lot of other areas. Um, and, and voice is a thing probably in large part due to Amazon, but they still, they still have a lot of confusion in that area too. Okay, well, as as two non-gamers, I think um, I think maybe we've reached our reached our ending point for for games for now. But yes. uh, but we will we will have more games coverage in the future. I'm sure. Yes. Um, Very well researched <laughs> games coverage in the future and now. Um, thank you so much, Mir. Thank you.